Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to be here with you this morning. So as a kid, I loved riddles. I loved anything that needed to be solved, like mystery, novels, puzzles, that kind of thing. And so I brought for you this morning a riddle. Now, if you were in my journey class, you've maybe seen this, so don't spoil it. But I heard this riddle from a teaching pastor, and I really liked it. And it is, what do human lungs, river systems, and Queen Elsa have in common? So as you look at these images or think about them in your head, think about how the lungs are shaped and how rivers move across the earth. If you're stumped, the major clue comes from Queen Elsa. So what song is she most known for? You can say it. Let it go. So I'm not going to sing it for you because I would embarrass my family. But now that you're singing it in your head, keep singing it. It's in, the answer is found in the lyrics. And it's toward the end of the song when Queen Elsa says... My power flurries through the air and to the ground. My soul is spiraling in frozen fractals all around. What do these images have in common? Fractals. Now, what on earth is a fractal? We've all been singing this song since about 2013. So what is a fractal? A fractal is a geometric figure where each part has the same statistical characteristic as the whole. And so what that means is whether you zoom in or you zoom out, you see the same basic properties. A fractal is a pattern that repeats itself over and over, like a snowflake. I have some examples with me this morning of some fractals that you might find around you out in the world, like flowers, succulents, caterpillar, something that we eat, a cauliflower, and leaves. Fractals are all around us. I bring up fractals this morning Because fractals are repeating patterns, and repeating patterns is a tool for you to use when you are reading the Bible. You want to look for patterns. You want to look for words or phrases or themes that repeat themselves over and over again because it's noteworthy. So pay attention to patterns in the Bible. Pay attention to them in movies like Frozen. Pay attention to them in your life so you can build a habit of looking for patterns because they are rich in meaning. So we are in a series this summer where we are asking the question, who is Jesus? And we are using the Gospel of John as our guide. And my assignment was to tackle chapters 2 all the way up through chapters 10. So this is a fairly beefy task, but we can do it because we are going to be using fractals. We're going to be using patterns to help us pull meaning out of the stories. So these chapters, 2 through 10, have already been versified for us. And what I mean when I say that is that Bible scholars over centuries have organized the Bible in such a way to help us read it better and to help us understand it. And these eight chapters have likely been lumped together for us based on a pattern. And those are the miracles of Jesus. 
Seven times, Jesus will perform seven miracles. Seven times, Jesus will disrupt the regularity of everyday life in extraordinary and surprising ways. So we're going to take a look at just three of the seven miracles stories this morning, and then we will talk about the patterns that we see in those three stories. So the first miracle takes place at a wedding, which is great because a wedding is something that we can relate to. We've all been to a wedding before, and if it was recent, we probably heard the song Let It Go playing on the dance floor. So we can imagine the scene. There's music, there's family, there's dancing, friends, food, there's celebration, until there is no more wine. What a tragedy. You have to have wine at a wedding, right? It's biblical. This is the story that Jesus finds himself in. He is at a wedding and the wine has run out. So there is no more wine, and very interestingly, Jesus' mother, of all people, provokes him with some urgency. And she says to Jesus, aren't you going to do something? I love this part. His mom asked him to do something, which indicates that she knew Jesus could, and also that she believed that Jesus was capable. Isn't that great? We all want a mom who believes in us. So in verse 6, we see what Jesus does when the wedding runs out of wine. Now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 to 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief servant. And they did. When the chief servant tasted the water, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Jesus performed the first sign in Cana of Galilee. He displayed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Jesus turned water into wine, and this was a huge deal. In the first century church, customs, traditions, and rituals were everything. And how you adhered to the traditions was a big deal. So to misjudge how much wine was needed for a wedding celebration wasn't something that you planned for. It was a tragedy. It is a breach in tradition. It would bring humiliation and shame upon a family. So Jesus physically turning water into wine is miraculous. But there is another lens to this story apart from the physical properties changing. Jesus stepped in to meet the need of a family. He provides more drink to spare them humiliation. Jesus cares about the needs of people. Jesus turns water into wine is our first miracle. So second miracle, and remember to start listening and looking for patterns. So we're going to skip up to chapter 6. So to set the stage between chapter 2 and chapter 6, Jesus has performed more miracles, and he's begun to make more verbal claims about who he is, and thus, a lot of questions are rising up. What is Jesus doing? What might Jesus do next? Why is he doing these things? So as a result, 
of the miracles and people having questions, they begin to follow Jesus. And I don't mean follow Jesus in the churchy sense we talk about follow today. I mean people physically left their homes and they followed Jesus. So think about your favorite band. They go on tour and they travel and people follow them. They go from city to city to venue to venue. And what happens when you show up at a venue? There's food and drink. So Jesus' ministry was like a band. It was on the move and drawing large crowds of people. And so this conversation is happening amongst the disciples. How are we going to feed these people? How can we afford to feed these people? Will there be more people? Where would we even find food? There weren't concert venues or food trucks available. And I think we all know what it's like to be around people who are hangry, right? It's a little bit scary. So these are real questions that they were asking. So in verse 8, chapter 6, Andrew spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. When the people saw this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. Jesus meets a need. He feeds 5,000 people with five barley loaves and two fish given by a little boy. He provides food for a hungry crowd of people with nothing to eat who were coming out of curiosity of who Jesus was and what he was up to in the world. So a few verses later, after the feeding of the 5,000, it is noted that while some came to believe after experiencing this miracle, others had some questions. How could this be? Okay, third miracle, because we need more than two to have a good pattern. So the last miracle is the healing of the blind man. So to set the scene, in the ancient Middle East, if someone was sick, someone was to blame. This is what people believed. If you were sick, if you were blind, someone was responsible for this. So when Jesus and his disciples were traveling and they came across a blind man, the disciples naturally ask, how did this blindness come to be? Who is to blame? Is it the blind man himself? Was it his parents? Who's responsible? Jesus doesn't answer their questions. Instead, he does this. He spits on the ground, grabs a stick, mixes it until it's mud. He spreads it across the man's eyes, and he tells him to go and wash, and the man is healed. Jesus heals the man, and then some time passes, and people begin to recognize that this man who was once blind, who was deemed sick, has no power in the social hierarchy, can now see. And they are puzzled, and they are wondering. So they ask the man in verse 8, how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, go and wash. So I went and washed, and I received my sight. 
Jesus meets a need. He gave a blind man his sight. And afterward, a whole slew of questions continue toward the blind man who can now see and also toward Jesus. Okay, it's time for fractals. It's time for patterns. What themes did you hear reoccur in each of these miracle stories? You might have some yourself, but I've pulled out just three uh, for us this morning. And the first is that Jesus meets a need. The second, Jesus transforms one thing into another. Jesus transforms. Number three, people had questions. So what do all of these patterns say to us today? When we come to Jesus with a need, Jesus does something. He meets the need. Not always in the way that we expect or the way that we hope or the way that we want or in our timing, but he always meets the ultimate need. So remember this when you bring a need to Jesus. Even when it appears that Jesus is doing nothing, Jesus is always working. Even if it's just behind the scenes, Jesus is always doing something to meet the needs of your life and mine. Jesus transforms. Each miracle is a story of transformation, of turning one thing into another. Water into wine, a little bit of food into a whole lot of food, and blindness into sight. And I might add that the people who are witnessing these miracles are also beginning to be transformed on the inside. And how do we know this? Because they had some questions. People had questions. People are watching. People are present during the miracles. People who know Jesus, like his mom and his disciples, and people who didn't know anything about Jesus. And they are asking a whole ton of questions. One of those questions being the very question that we are asking this summer. Who is Jesus? So I have this dream of furnishing my house solely on thrifting. I love the hunt of finding just the right item. I love good deals. And I can remember antiquing with my grandparents and my mom as a kid. I loved thrifting. So like all other homeowners during pandemic, I had a little extra time for some house projects and fixing up some of my secondhand treasures. And so one day my husband Brad comes home to find this in the driveway. I saw this recycled entertainment center as our new coffee bar. And Brad says to me very nicely, I would not have brought this home if it was free on the side of the road. <laughs> and I was so mad. How could he say that? I can see it's a little ugly, right? It's pretty orange and bulky. But I had a really high budget of $40. And this came with a light at the top, which Brad thinks is necessary for a coffee bar. So I, I hit the check marks. And despite being very discouraged, I press on, and I promise myself I will not be asking Brad for any kind of help. So after a lot of sanding, some more sanding, 
and painting and trips to the new store for backing, it now looks like this. It's pretty good. So now this is where my husband Brad makes me a cup of coffee every morning. And you know what? He likes it. <laughs> he thinks it's pretty cool. So just like this old, worn-off piece of furniture that is deemed unusable, ugly, was transformed and restored into a coffee bar, Jesus is in this same business. Jesus is in the business of transformation. Jesus has come into the world to transform people like you and me, to save us, to make us new, to rescue us from the sin that entangles us. Each miracle is a picture of transformation that is possible for us. Just like Jesus transformed water into wine and bread into a whole lot and blindness into sight, the same can happen in our lives. Jesus comes to transform us of our self-righteousness, of our desperate need to be right, from our independence, from financial success, from our picture-perfect homes, from our reputations and our appearances. He comes to transform us when we seek security in the wrong places. He comes to transform us from unforgiveness, from our worry, our fear, our stress, loneliness, anger, disbelief. He comes to transform us from our hatred towards others, from growing bitter. Jesus comes to transform us, to transform you and me from anything that holds us hostage, from anything that leaves us feeling broken and dark. Jesus is God who comes to disrupt the regularity of our everyday lives in miraculous ways, in surprising, unusual, sometimes peculiar ways to get our attention so that he can invite us into the greatest work, which is to transform us from one thing to another, to transform us from death to new life. And also, people had a whole ton of questions. So after each miracle story, there is an onslaught of questions. Who is Jesus? How is he doing these things? And what does that mean for us? How do we see the world now that we've experienced and witnessed a miracle? So as I was reading the miracle stories this time around, I felt like I was on the sidelines cheering for the people who were asking questions. I was so encouraged, and I felt a little relieved. I think I have the same questions. How is this happening? Why is this happening? How does this change the world as I see and experience it? It is okay to have questions about the credibility of miracles. We are living in a totally different time than the first century church. We are modern thinkers, which means that we are saturated in scientific methods, empirical evidence, and dualistic thinking that tells us that something either is or something is not. 
something either is or something is not. And so we are very quick to dismiss or imagine that there are any other kind of possibilities. So part of my job here at Orchard is that I get to work with college students who are navigating their faith on their own terms for the first time in the real world. They have a lot of questions and also I have found that their ability to see possibility is a lot quicker than mine. And so they have introduced me to an author that they love. He's a Christian author named Bob Goff. And in one of his books, he asks this question. He says, how could we ever know who Jesus is if people didn't ask questions? How could we ever know who Jesus is if people didn't ask questions? So if you are here this morning and you are plagued with doubt about Jesus performing miracles, or maybe you're plagued with doubt about your own faith, whether it's real, whether it weighs enough in your life to transform you, you are not alone. And you are so welcome at the table with all of your questions. So come and ask your questions, pursue your questions. Jesus asked a ton of questions himself. So I have found in my life that asking questions and seeking to understand is so much more than finding the right answers. Asking questions will set you on a journey of discovering meaning, of discovering complexities of the world, of discovering that your first question wasn't actually the question that you had. And you will find that through all these complexities, Jesus meets the needs of this world with grace and hope. Asking questions can grow your compassion for those around you. It can grow your, pers- grow your perspective and enrich who you know Jesus to be. So ask your questions. And as I wrap up today, I want to leave you with a quick story that happened just this past week. So my husband, Brad, had LASIK eye surgery on Tuesday of this past week, and we were given a few instructions beforehand, and one of those instructions was that the driver, which was me, was to wait in the car, and they would let me know when Brad was done. So I had planned to go out and get an iced coffee, but to my surprise, we show up, and they invite me to come in. And I was like, well, shoot, I was going to get an iced coffee But my husband's having surgery, so I guess I should just go in. So I go in, and Brad gets checked in, and they usher us back into this sort of like back waiting room, and I'm the only one there. And so they they take Brad back and ask me to wait. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a lap, see if I can find some coffee. No luck. It's a potentially an hour wait, so I'm like, what am I going to do? I settle in, and I try to change the TV from the Food Network to HGTV, but that didn't work, so I thought, okay. I started listening to a podcast, and then another surprise. The doctor invites me back to join Brad, so I'm back kind of in this clinical, clinical room with Brad. We're there for a couple of seconds, and then the doctor comes in, and he says, can I pray for you guys? A surprise, unusual, a disruption, in our everyday regular life from a total stranger. We'd never met this doctor before. 
So the doctor prayed for the surgery, but mostly he prayed for the boys at the state training school where my husband serves as a chaplain. He prayed for this church, Orchard Hill. He prayed for our kids. And the tears started running down my face because in that moment, I was being transformed by the love of a total stranger whose hope was found in Jesus. So who is Jesus? Jesus is God who comes to disrupt the regularities of our everyday lives in miraculous ways, surprising ways, peculiar ways, to get our attention so that he can invite us into the greatest work, which is to transform us through the love and sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Jesus' greatest work is transformation through us, through his people. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, God, we come to celebrate you and all that you are capable of doing in our lives. God, you are a God of miracles. You are a God of transformation who can turn us from one thing into another. God, would you meet us in our questions? Would you meet us in our unbelief? Would you transform us to make us new? To make us like your son who served those around him with grace and hope and truth. God, I pray this morning for anyone here who's in a season of doubt. God, would you wrap your safe arms around them and join them in a journey of asking questions. God, would you meet them and speak to them this morning? Jesus, you are the way maker. You always find a way and you are always working. You are a miracle worker, promise keeper. You are light in the darkness. We pray that you shine through us and the world as we worship you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.